Hey, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. This is my podcast. I'm Luke Wallace. I'm a folk singer. Y'all probably know that by now because you're tuning in. This is a podcast all about things happening west of the Rockies, PNW, folks living along the Sailor Sea. And we're going to focus on issues and solutions affecting the lives of people and animals and the ecosystems in this area and try to bring clarity to what's going on. It's a real trip right now. I think we're going to cover so many beautiful things in this podcast. We're going to talk to amazing people. I'm going to do some research and uh, highlight the beautiful parts of, of the world that we live in and, and try to rally folks around uh, solutions to problems that we face. And right now we're in the heart of this COVID thing, and so it's going to take some time and energy. Grateful that you tune in. Got a cool episode for you today. Let's get at it. I'm Luke Wallace. Welcome to the garden. Today I want to talk about uh, some of the gaps that we've really seen in the COVID response and, and some of the blind spots that the media seem not to care about and that we really need to talk about. And I'm going to try to spin a positive light on it uh, in the end, um, but we're going to dive into that. First, uh, about an hour ago, I just finished watching a live stream from our, our guy Bernie Sanders. And uh, Bernie has stepped out of the presidential race, as you've probably heard by now. And... That breaks my heart. I've never met that man. Probably nobody listening to this podcast has ever met Bernie Sanders, and he changed my life. He continues to change my life. The fact that he shows up every day and does what he does and stands up for what he stands up for, um, we're going to realize how important his courage as a person was in, in the years to come. And, you know, Joe Biden sucks. Let's just say it as it is. That's a horrible candidate. Some of the allegations coming forward that are very likely true, and I'm going to believe the women on those, uh, mass incarceration, all of it. It's just, it's truly sad. And I don't want to start this whole podcast in this opening episode on that note, but, but I just, I'm so grateful for Bernie Sanders and I'm so grateful for the things that he stood up for and and his unwavering commitment to the to justice for all people and for the planet and that's our fight too we got to continue that whether you're a bernie fan or not whether you consider yourself a socialist our fight is is the justice for all people and the planet earth and right now uh, we're far from that and that's been shown in the last uh you know couple weeks here and over the last few months just a refresher as we dive into this, what's going on here in so-called BC. Um, before this all happened, there was, a, there was a huge shift in energy and a movement forming that was around the, the hashtag shutdown Canada and Wet'suwet'en Strong. And um, In January, the RCMP, as a quick reminder, in January, the RCMP raided the Unistoten camp on the unceded Wet'suwet'en territory. This is in north-central so-called British Columbia. Uh, at gunpoint, again, dragging people out of that territory, people who were peacefully reoccupying it at a healing center and 
um, working with the land, reconnecting with the land, reconnecting with culture, uh, and expressing their sovereign rights over that land, that is unceded, untreated land, treated land. And the Wet'suwet'en have every right to be there and to oversee that land's function and well-being in whatever way they choose. So the RCMP go up and raid it. And that sparks something big. There's a huge call out uh, by the Wet'suwet'en to supporters all around the world. And in the blink of an eye, there are rallies and blockades and government office occupations all over Canada and very quickly after that all over the world in uh, San Francisco, all over California and Washington, uh, Australia, like you name it. There were, there were actions everywhere and it was like, wow, the world is watching and social media is connecting us and this is a movement. And for weeks, things were shut down in Canada. Rails were blocked. Billions of dollars of revenue were being lost. Um, ports were blocked. Government offices were blocked. And my heart fully opened when the Indigenous youth in my part of the world here stepped up. Um, in so-called Victoria, a group of Indigenous youth in support of the Wet'suwet'en uh, occupied a government office and were arrested and dragged out of there at like 2 in the morning. And then everything changed. I mean, I think a lot of us already knew that that's sort of where the RCMP was at. And, and if we didn't, we were delusional to think any otherwise. But, uh, but then when that happened, it was like, okay, I guess we're in now. I guess this is the... The lines have been drawn, and, and, and we better, you know, step up here. And so uh, with the greatest amount of courage and, and leadership and clarity, those Indigenous youth then started an occupation of the legislature, which is the capital city here in B.C. and in Victoria. And they were occupying the legislature, saying, hey, RCMP off the Wet'suwet'en territory. Um, we're going to be here. And so they were on the steps, and, and hundreds of supporters, at some points thousands of supporters showed up, uh, and heard their call for support, for safety, for food, for warmth, for company, and uh, for weeks in two different batches, um, the Indigenous youth were occupying those steps, and it was just a truly exceptional, inspiring time, it, concerning and, and horrible that this is how we have to do business um, and how they have to fight for their rights in that way that should be inherent and recognized. Uh, nonetheless, deeply inspiring uh, in the face of all of it, in the face of, of violent threats from the RCMP and from other groups, you know, what you might call alt-right groups, and the Proud Boys are circling around legislature while these youth are peacefully sitting there. Uh, but they held strong. And and then this COVID thing happened. And you'll hear a car going by. I'm sitting outside in the sun. So, uh, so this COVID thing happened, and government walked away from talks with the Wet'suwet'en and all the pressure from the protests and everything and the blockades had actually, you know, brought brought both parties to the table. Um, it's still unclear sort of in what, how, how good of a intention the government had in those negotiations, whether they were ever actually going to negotiate at all. Nonetheless, those conversations were happening and, uh, and then this COVID thing happened and everyone was ordered to stay indoors. The air got pulled out of, of the tires of a really big environmental and, and human rights surge and indigenous rights surge here in, here in so-called Canada. And now we're all at home. And we're going to spend some time on this podcast talking about the ways in which this is working and not working and um, in terms of this, this sort of lockdown isolation thing. But we're now here. I lost money, a lot of money, and I lost all my work. 
and so did tons of other people. And I'm so privileged to to be in a position where that's not putting me out on the street or without food on the table. Um, but we all took hits. There are businesses that will not recover from this, small businesses across the country. Um, there are communities for whom this will change everything. And while we're all sitting at home, the project that we're talking about here, Coastal Gaslink Pipeline, which the Wet'suwet'en were opposing and still are opposing going through their territory, uh, is now continuing to be built. Uh, the RCMP are blocking the access road in. I'm looking at a video right now of a group of Indigenous youth, the same youth that I was speaking about before, who were invited up to the territory by the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, um, being stopped and held in their cars by the RCMP, sort of bunch of guys, RCMP guys circling around, asking them questions, showing them injunctions, not giving them really direct answers, accusing them of all sorts of things. And uh, it appears like they were eventually let go and it's just insanity. There's, there's so many ways to take this conversation, but it's... I'm wondering what the greater threat is here, to be honest. Is the greater threat uh, COVID-19? You know, or, or is us staying home eroding our democracy and our civil right to protest and our rights to a clean and livable climate and, and the inherent rights of Indigenous people and all people on their lands? Are we losing that? because we're staying home and how am I supposed to trust? How are any of us supposed to trust and respect a government? Let's call the provincial government for now, you know, Johnny and his friends. How are we supposed to trust them when they continue construction? That's not essential work. 500 guys flying from all over the country, some of them flying internationally into small communities in Northern British Columbia, which already puts people at risk for a whole host of reasons that we'll talk about sometime. But in the middle of a pandemic, you're going to fly people from all over the country in to build a project, a pipeline, a fracked gas fossil fuel expansion pipeline that was already contentious before this all hit. That's bogus. We should be furious that they are still flying people in just for the safety of the community. Just on the grounds of COVID, this should have been paused. And you know why it hasn't been paused? Two reasons. One, it hasn't been paused because they are opportunistic and don't care. They don't care about the well-being of people. Now, you could say $1,000 here, $1,000 there. If they understood what was going on and took into account the entire context of this scenario, and I mean the big, the zoom-out, bird's-eye-view context of climate change, of the history of colonization in this country, there's no possible way that you could justify continuing construction on that project and a handful of other projects in northern British Columbia that are still being built, that are still flying men and women in and out who live in close quarters in communities with no health infrastructure, vulnerable communities with higher health concerns than you would find perhaps in the south, again for a whole host of reasons connected to the historic and ongoing colonization of this country. We should be mad about that. So when I go online and see the praise coming out, sure, great, thank you, Dr. Henry, you're doing a good job. If you ever listen to this podcast, I actually appreciate your level-headedness in dealing with the pandemic. But can we zoom out a little bit here, folks? We just become so obsessed. We zoom in so much that it just becomes about this pandemic and we miss the whole thing. Zoom out, please. I only gave you one reason why they're doing it. One, 
the reason was they are opportunistic and they're seeing that, wow, nobody can protest this. We had a nationwide movement and in a lot of ways this pandemic's doing a great thing for certain projects and for the feds who want to push these projects through. Uh, the second reason is because if they stop, if they were to delay construction on this project, the Coastal Gasoline Pipeline or LNG Canada or the Site C Dam, that that pause will give us a chance, anyone who wants, and maybe even internally to go, wow, is this worth it financially, just financially? I mean, Canadian crude oil prices went from $59 last year, and they're now hovering below five. I've dropped, I think, below, uh, you know, at, at $3.82 a barrel. What a joke. Tech Mine, which just was canceled. Uh, this this plan, the largest tar sands mine kind of ever that they'd proposed, was just canceled, and it it needed a price of fifty dollars a barrel to succeed. We're not getting back to fifty dollars a barrel. And this whole fracking thing, this is where the fracking connects to it, is is those prices are really tied, and fracking's a really expensive process. And so, if the Canadian crude price is low, that fracked gas price isn't going to work. We were already. You know, looking at things like Coastal Gas Link and LNG Canada, I, I didn't really understand the numbers. And I looked into them and said, well, I don't, I don't think we're going to make money. I don't think anyone's making money off this unless we see a huge increase in the price for fracked gas. Nobody's making money on this. And that kind of explains the, the billions and billions of dollars that the government subsidized these projects. But if they pause them right now, if they were to pause Coastal Gas Link and the Site C Dam, not only would it give us a reprieve to be able to review whether it was economically viable, um, but I actually don't think they'd be able to recover from it. I think a lot of these projects are at the point now and their margins are so thin that if they stop for five months or six months, they're, they're screwed. They can't do it. They're literally chasing every day a dying industry and a market that's disappearing. The market for Canadian crude is disappearing. Let's call it what it is. And we can either struggle to save that industry and bail it out like the feds are looking like they're doing at the cost of ongoing colonization and continued racism against indigenous people, environmental and economic racism against indigenous people, violating the rights of all those people in those communities up there, indigenous or not, but particularly, you know, the Wet'suwet'en who are fighting this coastal gasoline pipeline. We can either continue to ruin those relationships and continue the history of colonization, or we can go, wow, we're at the bottom of this. I, th- I don't know, $3.82? We might be at the bottom of it now, folks. So we could build something better, and, and there's an opportunity here. And I don't know if anyone's going to take it. I think they might be in it too deep, but if I had a message for anyone up there at a political level, I'd ask them, I'd say, please look at the chance you have here. The universe is giving you every ground to walk away from these projects. They're not economically viable. They're not. We're going to be paying for these for a long time if we go through with them, and you might not get a better opportunity to walk away from something. And nobody would be mad. We'd all go, makes sense, we see the numbers too. We could use this moment to transform our economy so that it's more resilient, transform our food systems, transform our energy systems, 
so that the next time another country wants to flood the market, like Saudi Arabia is doing right now, flood the market with oil because they can, and that's what the economic system produces, maybe we could be more economically and energy resilient. Maybe we could have decentralized solar farms everywhere. I get the feeling that there's a lot of sovereign indigenous nations out there who'd be more than happy to run down the renewable energy front. More than happy. And in fact, we've seen it. It was there, it was ready to go before we built the Site C Dam. There were renewable energy co-ops and independent energy companies run by First Nations and on the table. And all that money, all that support was scrapped for the Site C Dam to power Coastal GasLink, to power LNG Canada. So I'll ask you on this one. I know people are, your lives are full. A lot of you are at home right now with your families and with your kids and they're not going back to school. And shout out to the parents because I think you're not getting a lot of praise right now. At least I don't see it too much on Twitter, but y'all are doing a really great job. And, and I really am thinking about the folks who, who are, whose lives have changed a lot because of this, whether that's because of a job or just because of the, your day-to-day flow. This is really different. Um, but I really want to ask you to, to zoom out with all of us. And we got to take this all in, in big context, and we can't afford, in the face of climate change and environment, ecological collapse and all of it, we can't afford to to stop looking and we can't afford to stop pushing and building a better world. Um, the privilege that we have on this land, speaking to the settlers here, and the benefit that we have of the support from the Canadian government, this Serb thing, I'm going to do an episode on that next, but this Serb thing I just got from the Canadian government, the only reason we have that money available to us is because we're pumping resources out of the ground and that's balancing out in some way folks it's balancing out in damage to the environment and it's balancing out in a disproportionate damage to indigenous people and their communities everything from missing and murdered indigenous women to increased cancer rates loss of hunting grounds all all the things that are coming a loss of self-governance and and the right to choose one's future which a lot of us have in one degree or another and and that the Wet'suwet'en and so many other sovereign indigenous nations in this country are fighting for their right to have what we have and so while I'm grateful to live in a country right now that is having arguably one of the best responses to this at least out west here. Let's also not be foolish enough to forget that everything is balanced and that the great response and the finances available in this time came from somewhere. So when you found your footing again in all of this, and it took me, I don't know, 10 days or two weeks to to recenter and reground in all this, um, when you find your footing, let's... Keep our support going for the Wet'suwet'en, for the Unistotin. It's what I see this Serb thing as. I'm going to take it because we got to take all, all that we can get in from the Gov. But I see that. I see that $2,000 coming in. I see that as the federal government hiring me to support the rights of Indigenous people on this land.
So maybe we'll make a deal in this one. Let's make a deal right now. If you're going to accept support from the gov right now, and this is half-hearted. I mean it for myself, but, but you do whatever you want with the money. You know what I'm saying? But let's make a little deal. Let's say if, you know, if we're going to accept some funds from the government, let's recognize the actual cost of that money, where it came from originally, and who had to pay for that money. And let's agree that we're going to do something with it, that we're going to take some time and energy and keep our hearts and minds and our activism with the Wet'suwet'en. When we hear the call, and even when we don't, we're there to support them. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I don't know where this podcast is going to go. I promise I'm going to have some super uplifting episodes. I'm writing one right now called Why Salmon Rule. It's going to be 20 minutes of salmon info that's going to blow your mind. Um... We're going to do interviews on this podcast with awesome people talking about how to build a better world here. Uh, Again, west of the Rockies, PNW, Salish Sea. We're going to highlight voices of people doing amazing work, and indeed, we're going to have some episodes like this. And I don't know how many people are going to listen to this podcast. You might be the first person. But if you know anything about me, I bounce relentlessly between optimism and solution orientation and wanting to build a better world with everybody and celebrate and sing and dance uh and i also really it's very cathartic for me to 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 speak about what's actually going on to lift the veils of the media and government press releases and and actually look at what's happening so thanks for giving me the space on this one today i'm so grateful for you uh episode two is coming shortly and yeah Keep rocking out there, okay? We'll talk soon. Thanks.